This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 403. I'm your host, Uncle McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode, we continue our Russian Roulette franchise retro for October. We are doing the Hannibal Lecter series and arguably you could say we've just peaked. On this episode, we'll be looking at the second in the series, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, I know, things are about to get a little bit weird. Because we are changing out our Dr. Lecter for what is now probably the most popular in terms of if you had to sit down and draw Hannibal Lecter, you're likely to draw Anthony Hopkins. But you'll be hearing my thoughts and my guest, who was randomly selected on this one, David Garrett Jr., after the first break, discussing the movie ETC, and that'll be coming up right after the first break. Before we get to that, let's catch up with where we are under the stairs. Plenty of moving parts, it is a busy week, it's a busy month, let's be honest, things never really lit up. When you're under the stairs, they just keep a going, a going, and a going. But, for your listening pleasure, I'm keeping you entertained in between all that movie watching on your 31 of October. I'm here, and I've got your back. So let me tell you what is lined up for you for the rest of the week on this feed, and what is coming up from the Tea Putts Collective. On this particular feed just now, for the rest of the week, you still have to get the movie installments 7 through 13 of my 31 of October. That'll be dropping on Friday. And then on Sunday, 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 you'll be getting a little bit of that Arrow video assortment. We're looking at Dark Blue, a woefully underseen, underrated movie starring one Mr. Kurt Russell. So very much looking forward to that. There is no Vaseline episode this coming Monday because of how the weeks have worked out. Uh, To get this episode out on a very rare Monday the 31st, we are giving you a mid-season break. So on Monday, I'll be returning with De- uh, with my guest Dave Parker to do the Unknown Year, which is what we're calling that previously unnamed segment. Um, looking at the seventh curse on our second episode and detailing where we're going with the rest of that series in due course. So yeah, Dave Parker will be joining me on Monday. On the Teapots Collective, this weekend, you will be getting the next instalment of Chronicle. Myself and one Mr. Darren Wilson will be sitting down and discussing Pan's Labyrinth. So that is your next episode of Chronicle coming up on Sunday. Okay, ladies and gents, let's get down to it, shall we? You are going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Silence of the Lambs when I return myself and my guest, David Garrett Jr., discussing that movie right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com, The Psychosemantic Podcast. You spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. 
I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Welcome back, ladies and gents. So this is your second Russian Roulette franchise retro of the month of October in what I don't have a fancy name for, so it's the Lecter series, really. Um, and yeah, this is the second movie, which, I mean, after Manhunter, kind of defined the genre of kind of FBI profiling serial killer, you know, like set, set the template for it. But it felt like almost it couldn't be approached again turns out in the interim Tom Harris wrote another book um, which had a little bit more lecture in it and he made a movie it was relatively unseen didn't go on to win any awards didn't you know change the landscape of cinema in any way but no that's no it did it did all those things uh, yeah this is the second movie this is Silence of the Lambs which came five years later 1991 directed by Jonathan Demi joining me yeah, his name plucked from the hat on this one, and I can't imagine in any way, shape, or form he wasn't smiling from ear to ear like the cat that caught the saucer of milk. It is my good buddy, David Garrett Jr. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, how about yourself? I have had the greatest weekend ever because I've been watching good Hannibal Lecter movies, and... Um, <laughs> It was my birthday this weekend, and it's yeah, like right. ev- everything is everything has been coming up, Duncan. Which I know in the subsequent weeks after this, that's not going to be the case. So <laughs> I- I'm enjoying these lofty highs right now before the, the 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 petrifying lows swing into gear. I can't imagine in any way, shape, or form this was the first time you'd seen Silence of the Lambs. No, no. This one, I was actually thinking about it when I got selected is, it's kind of interesting is I did not watch it in 91. I actually Mm -hmm. came a little bit later to it. Mm -hmm. And this was one that like my father wouldn't let me rent. And so originally it was like, oh, this must have a lot of weird things in it. I come to find out the reason he didn't is knowing me as a horror fan, you know, back in the early 90s, I would have been bored with this movie because uh, I just wouldn't have got what it was. Mm-hmm. So he knew that like I was more into like the slashers or like creature features. So by the time that I actually came to watch this, he it was I was ready for, you know, the more cerebral kind of approach this movie takes. Yeah. I mean, this this is one of these ones where we're building on a lot of elements laid out in the style of the yep. movie, like Manhunter. I see the style as in the story, the way mm-hmm. that, you know, the procedural sound. And that's Tom Harris. And that's less Michael Mann, yep. and that's more Tom Harris. And this one, very close to the novel. It doesn't deviate too much from the novel at all. And for its benefit, that, you know, that it shouldn't work as good as it does in a lot of respects. They obviously give a bit more details. Now, there's... There's there's a lot to unpack here, but yeah, I, like to me, I I must have saw this when it came to VHS in the UK, mm-hmm. so maybe ninety two, ninety three, okay. and like this was my jam. Like by this time, I mentioned actually last night. It's a detail I'd completely forgotten, but I was I was guesting on another podcast, which I very seldom do actually. But um, I was guessing on another podcast. And we ended up talking about serial killers, which was not the kind of route that we were going on in the conversation if any more we're actually talking about Night of the Demons which fuck all to do with serial killers <laughs> but um, I, I did start talking about like that and then I mentioned that by the time I was like like 11 or 12 um, so you'd be talking like what well, that would be 
92, 93. Um, mm-hmm. They used to do these, you remember when you were a kid, they would do, like, you buy, like, certain magazines and some of them, you'd yep. buy the first episode of the magazine, you would get, like, a folder and then every month there would be something. So if it was, like, about marine life, every month you would get, like, a new thing to put in your binder and then you would have, like... Oh, yeah. A, yeah, well, they had one for serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he did and I also don't know why my mum let me have it but uh, by, by like age 13 or something I had this little like folder dossier full of like criminal profiles um, just like when I think of it now it's just so weird because like obviously the internet's awash with conversations right now about Jeffrey Dahmer um, yep. because of the Ryan Murphy show and once again it, it, it confuses me how like how how many people clearly didn't know how bad Jeffrey Dahmer oh, was. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like are are things like where they're like um, but I just saw that episode where they took the boy back and the police didn't believe anything the police <laughs> has left them. As if this is just like a one off thing. This is lit- this is how you have serial killers. Yes. Is due Especially to back then. Yeah, it's due to police incompetence. And I'm not taking pot shots at the police, but it's because things weren't thoroughly investigated. Because guess what? If they were, the guys would have been caught earlier. Um, like there's always that story, and whenever you read the about a serial killer, about that moment where their, you know, their their cars pulled over by the police, and the police like let them off with a warning, but mm-hmm. don't check the book where there's clearly a body dismembered. <laughs> it's like you know, these stories come out always after the fact. Like I think in the Dahmer one. And I've not seen the, the Murphy show yet. I, I have to watch it. But it, right. like, I think like Jeffrey Dahmer's second victim was the one in the hotel and he bought a luggage bag, stuffed the body in there. And the cab, and, and this is real life, uh, anecdotally by Jeffrey Dahmer, he said that like the bag was really heavy so the cabbie helped him put it in the back oh, yeah, and no. joked with him and said, you know, like, this is so heavy, you got a body in there? And he's like... <laughs> <laughs> like laughing at me because there's a dead body in the bag. <laughs> it's just like a fucking surreal position to be in. It's just so 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 bizarre. But like to to think that like people are only just now, and then it also made me think like that's kind of there's part of me that kind of likes that that like people are just like no, I just I'm not interested in any of that morbid shit, and I just don't want to know how evil people are. But. Yeah. If that's like if that's upsetting people, like your country, America, has uh, has quite a, quite a number of killers that are just oh, like so Prolific, much worse, yeah. <laughs> just so much worse than Jeffrey Dahmer. Like just did like the nastiest fucking shit ever. Um, and I now want Ryan Murphy, even though I've not watched his show yet, to do them all. <laughs> like just <laughs> like you know, put American up because he's got like. He's only fucking. He's got dead. a few of those shows, yeah, that have taken on like the real life crime things and did. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of them. Mm. I mean, I watch American Horror Story, but I mean, I've heard from a lot of people that those takes might not be one hundred percent faithful, yeah. but that he does a great job at getting as close to it while still making it entertaining. Oh, I watched the OG one. The, you okay. know, he's, he's one that he did with OG and. Yep. It was it was really good. It was really really good. Yes, okay. he, he takes liberties, um, but it was it, it was really well put together. And um, but he's got American Horror Story is about to restart. It had the American Story uh, Horror Story anthology thing that is I think yep. it's still on. Um, he's got this coming out. He's got that Watcher TV show, which is also based on a, a true crime thing, which, by the way, okay. it, it looks like they're going to be taking a lot of liberties with that because that it's a really interesting concept, but a very boring story. Um, <laughs> so, But he's got he's got all these things coming out. And I'm like, maybe just shelve them now and just do like these sorts of shows because I would... I would I would own them all like Pokemon, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's like you know, how yeah. <laughs> fucking morbid I am. Um, but yeah, like Silence of the Lambs to me was like, oh, it was it was it was watched a lot. It was probably watched an unhealthy amount um, because I was just I was fascinated by it. I, part of me because I this this time period I love Jodie Foster. Uh, I thought okay. she was just like this absolute incredible actress. Um, yep. And I was also morbidly fascinated with Ted Levine. <laughs> like, just, oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> just like strangely obsessed with, like, I think it's the voice more than anything. I think he's kind of almost like he, he talks through his nasal cavity. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's such a weird voice to come at a man that looks like that. 
Well, what's kind of interesting is I'm pretty sure that I watched Joyride before this. Mm. So, like, I had figured out that he was um, Rusty Nails. Yes. And then I'm pretty sure I watched this not too long after. And I will, like, my sister and I will always play this game where we'll find, like, actors and try to be like, well, what else is this person in? Mm -hmm. And so, like, when we figured out that he was also the killer in this movie, and I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I also watched, like, Joe Dirt around the same time where, you know, they take a uh, like comedic approach to the things that are happening in this with the mm -hmm. killer that is briefly in that movie. So just being able to connect those things made this movie, I mean, those were kind of joking type things with uh, with Joe Dirt on it, but just kind of made me laugh when I, you can make those like cultural references to what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, he's a, it's, this movie's so well cast as well. It, it's right. just like, it's insanely casted actually. Like, very much like Manhunter has an insane cast in itself. Um, but this one is just it's, it's fucking nuts five Oscars right so start there before we even get into the what does it do well what does it not do well <laughs> sort of thing right. it's got like it's got five Oscars this one best picture at the 92 awards it won best leading actor for Anthony Hopkins best leading female for Jodie Foster best director for Jonathan Demme um, and best writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published for the screenplay adaptation by Ted Talley of the of, of the Harris novel it was also nominated for best sound which it didn't win um, and best film editing which it didn't win but it won like if you're looking at nowadays any movie that wins best picture best actor best actress best director you know that's like that's a big fucking deal and very few movies ever do that and right. this movie did it and we've, we've talked about it before if you're a horror fan you're you you kind of wince a little bit with silence of the lambs when people are like but it's not a horror movie <laughs> and you're like what and they're like well no it's a psychological thriller uh, it's more a thriller than it's a horror movie and you're like well if this isn't a horror movie what is a horror movie what well, didn't scare me right all right that's fine it didn't scare you but most things don't scare me but this is, it's about a fucking man that skins women to make a woman suit. Um, and a woman has to seek help from a cannibal. <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, that she literally has to go to another serial killer to try to see if she can solve this while they're racing against the clock to do all that. Yeah, whilst, whilst the, the other guy is currently starving a woman to make him a skin suit. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's like, like if, if not this when... And then, like you get, uh, like, and then but that's you kind of have to, like, you you have to kind of try and calm down, or you end up getting an aneurysm, like me, because yep. then it sparks some. Well, well, seven's not a serial killer. It's not a horror movie. You're like it's totally fucking. There's a man rapes a woman with a fucking a dildo made from a spike knife. I mean, if that's not, a, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> you know, David, over here, what we do is we run we run the train on four questions for for you here. Um, what does the movie do well? What does the movie not do well? In the case of this one, slightly different question from the Manhunter one, um, and it's going to come to basically Lecter Legacy here, um, mm -hmm. because I, I think you may have seen all the remaining movies, but even if you haven't, we're going to talk a little bit about the the balance that they get in this movie with the character, between glorifying the character and actually reminding the audience that he is... Uh, a, a serial killing cannibal um, and then obviously you're either recommending the movie which I imagine you are but uh, recommending the movie or not recommending the movie and picking a scene before we get the grades here so <laughs> this feels like a bit of a redundant question because the answer is everything but uh, what does Silence of the Land do well? Well, I mean, kind of we can parlay from what you've already been talking about is the acting here is just phenomenal yeah. just across the board I mean Yes, our stars are great, but I even think some of your like secondary cast is just wonderful on top of that. Yep. But I mean, like Jodie Foster, she plays this young cadet so well that shows so much promise. And I just love that kind of opening thing there where Jack Crawford calls her in and is going to send her to somebody that is so cerebral and <laughs> not even tell her what he's actually sending her there for because yeah. he knows that if he does, that Lecter is going to be able to pick things apart. But Lecter is so smart that he still knows what Jack Crawford is doing here. Yeah. And I just love that how she is so nervous and so wanting to 
succeed at what she's doing that she heads into there does what she's told but then kind of plays her hand a little too early and lector still in is intrigued by her though and wants to kind of groom her into being what he thinks that she can be yeah you get the lector in a lot of respects in this movie is in the previous movie the performance of Lecter is much more subdued it's kind of mm -hmm. almost like a he's he's trying to we don't get enough time with him but he's trying to essentially bring Will Graham down to his level he keeps reiterating you know the reason you caught me is because you are me yeah. that's that's we, we are so like the way because you can essentially empathise with a killer you can mm -hmm. think like me so you are like me that's how you caught me and that's what makes us different than everyone else. And it's almost like looking for like like kinship, like this kindred spirit. Um, and this one here, like Lecter sees, whether rightly or wrongly, the opportunity to to take someone who has potential and move her to greatness. What he perceives as greatness, which is like take this very shy, unassuming woman with talent and promise. Um, to the next level of what she wants in her career. Make her an actual player in the game. Um, and he can do that. He, he evaluates that really quickly. And you get that with that opening gambit, you know, where he's like, oh, oh no, 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 just one go. You know, <laughs> like, uh, like you, you, you made nice, you, you know, shared your uncomfortable detail with, you know, Migs in the other cell. Um, and, you, and you're going to rush into this. No, 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 it's too messy, it's too sloppy. Um, but she, she bites back, which I kind of like. Where he has that, like, it's a, such a fucking great scene. Like, the whole thing about this is just as nuts um, how good it is. But when you get him, like, she's like, you know, like, maybe, you know, you should turn those questions in, to yourself then, you know what I mean? Or maybe you're too, maybe you're too afraid to do it. And he right. slams that fucking drawer <laughs> and she does that blink thing. And um, it's like, obviously, by this point, it's kind of like Hollywood, like, uh, like Hollywood lore that the whole scene where Hopkins is like that, you come in here with your cheap shoes and your cheap perfume and you look like a robe, um, <laughs> like that. And apparently when filming this, when they did the hit cut, Jodie Foster bust into tears. Um, because, like, oh. like, he, was that, he was that fucking intense. She took, it, she took it personal. She took it personal. And I think that's, she was a, she's weirdly, like in that, opening scene she she reminds me a lot of uh deval's performance in the shining like that okay. way where she's like nervous to speak to jack like even over yeah. mundane things like you know how's it going hon <laughs> like, like just <laughs> get out of there look up he's a fucking maniac run <laughs> like, like we do but like the fact that she and it's, it's such it's such clever filmmaking here like the camera angle for her is constantly looking up at everything and or looking down upon her as being this slight smaller woman it's how people perceive her but it's not how Hannibal Lecter perceives her because when they're yeah. having interactions it's at eye level which is just oh, Jonathan Demme I know you've passed away sadly but if you were still alive and you wanted a handy I would give you one right <laughs> and it's not an offer that I make to many people um, but I would for you because this movie fucking rocks but I think you're right like the casting across the board I mean, this is the first movie that we get the proper sleazeball like Chilton performance like Chilton yep. in the previous movie is a relatively non-event character is relatively cold and is working completely with the FBI with no ulterior motive but in this one sleazeball oh yeah <laughs> you know Baltimore can be a great city if you right person. <laughs> like, it's just like I would rather be anywhere but here with you right now you fucking horrible little man um, and like the, the fact that he like there's that scene where he's played everything um, he's, played, he's obviously recorded conversations he's set up the deal he's mortified when Hannibal Lecter completely embarrasses him but when he's outside chatting to the press and the press are asking loads of different questions he's like my name is Frederick Chilton right. <laughs> and they're, they're like oh he's like C-H-I-L because that's all he's interested in uh, it's why Hannibal Lecter hates him because he sees this inferior psychologist who's trying to become great off his quote unquote great deeds um, right. and that's, that's brilliant performed Barney this is Barney appearing in his first iteration as Barney 
as mentioned in the previous episode, Barney actually is in Manhunter, but he plays a police officer. It's the same actor. but So he's okay. in every single one of them, apart from Hannibal Rising. Thank fuck. Um, but he's, he's, in all, he's in all of them. He plays Barney, obviously, in all the other ones. But he, he's in all of them. So he's back here. Um, it's interesting. Like, let's talk about a little bit about uh, Scott Glenn's performance as Jack Crawford. Fairly unassuming in this one. Um, Agreed. Yeah, like, and I kind of like... He weirdly does play... Because it's a different dynamic, right? So mm -hmm. uh, in the previous one in Manhunter, played by uh, Dennis Farina, um, who's very intense, and then obviously yeah. in the Red Dragon remake, uh, where Jack Crawford's played by Harvey Keitel, who once again is, you know, relatively in intense and kind of yeah, you know, like shifty and all the rest. In the case of this one, Jack Crawford plays the older man that you would imagine and i think that's the clever thing about it the kind of father figure that someone like uh clary starling who has daddy issues would possibly sleep with and be in love with um yeah. and the fact that they're kind of there's a, a weird sexual tension between them even though the movie even though hannibal lecter's the only one to like it's <laughs> just a see scenes that I just want to do over and over again. Whereas she's like that, dude, like exchanges between you fucking you, and she's like, well, you know, that doesn't interest me. I don't think about it at all. Frankly, it's something that I'd expect Mix to say, and he's like, not anymore. <laughs> it's just such a fucking. It's just so playful, and just and you can see her just kind of gulp. And I'm like, yeah, he's like because you never it, all it says is that he, he whispered sweet nothings to him through his cell and then the next day they found him he'd swallowed his tongue <laughs> right like it makes me almost wonder what he was whispering that would make somebody do that is that and that he can get in your head that much that right yeah which is terrifying like that to me is like the most terrifying thing ever is there a reason I will never go and see a psychiatrist right <laughs> like, like there's like a couple a couple of reasons one like it's hard enough for t me to live in my brain but that's a known quantity i don't and i see how it affects other people that have to be in proximity to me. <laughs> i would never inflict that in anyone even a trained medical professional um but the the second thing is there's also that part of me of i don't i like to think i've got a good grasp on me like, if yeah. I went to see someone and they were like that, no, this is... Actually, you've got some serious issues and these are what those issues are. You almost uh, secede control of certain aspects. Oh. And I, I don't like that. Like, that to me is terrible. Like, there's the, the, of all the horror tropes that are used out there, things to do with... Um, specifically things to do with uh, mental health institutions or anything where someone's own recollection of something is proved to be completely inaccurate you know that thing where people that are insane don't know they're insane they think that what right. they see is normal but everyone else sees insanity um, and the dichotomy of that is terrifying to me um, so like the fact that he could speak to someone through a cell and that person would then be so fucking traumatised by what he said <laughs> they swallowed their own tongue um, it's also the fact that everyone in that row like, it's like that, oh, Hannibal's gonna kill him! Hannibal's gonna kill him! <laughs> right, and you're like, right. well, no, he's not. He's locked up in a cell. And then you hear that he fucking died. You're just like, oh, shit. Um, yeah. I mean, there's something about these criminally insane human beings that are so bad. They're in these, like, stone things yeah. in the basement. It's a basement. And, it's a dungeon. <laughs> and they're terrified of this guy. There has to be something just completely off about a guy who even these criminally insane people are terrified of him. Yeah, and it, it does make you want, like, because like, you imagine that on some level, you, you always get this idea that cellies talk, like, even if they're yeah. through the wall, they must, at some level, they talk. And then, But you see who's next Hannibal, and there's <laughs> multiple MIGs. You know, the yep. guy who just, like, openly masturbates and then Spider-Man's in a woman's face. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. like, you're, like you're like, what did they talk about? Like, he's talking about fucking, you know, the, the, the scene from the Belvedere and, you know, in Florence. And he's talking about this one time that, you know, he jacked off four times in a day and had to ice his nuts in a bucket. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I just, it's so, it's so bizarre and it's so weird, but it, it kind of works. 
Um, but you're right, the, the casting in this movie is just incredible. And then you we talk about how great Anthony Hopkins is, and he really is. And we're going to swing back to yep. that more when we talk a little bit more about the Lecter performance in particular. Um, but you then have to you have to lean down in the big bad here, Ted Levine, um, as James Gum, uh, because his his parents fucking wrote the name wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you, you have him. And I know there's there's a there's a school of thought, and trust me, I understand when people get a bit nervous, a bit upset when certain movies are really insensitive to things that society are just better informed on now, and just have a little bit more insight. I think, and I don't want to get cancelled over this. I I actually think that Silence of the Lambs is a lot more clever about it than people who superficially watch this movie like remember it to be in the same way that it's like where they they talk about the insensitivity of a movie like Dressed to Kill where like Mm -hmm. oh it's the you know it's clear it's the transvestite that does all the wonders because people don't understand um, you know transgenderism or uh, you know like anyone that you know feels like they're trapped in the wrong body and I understand that there are movies that don't do it well and yes it's Brian De Palma doing Dressed to Kill but in that movie very similar to this movie it's clearly stated that you know the the guy is not he hasn't been granted that you know this the sex reassignment because he is mentally unstable and it's not because he's a like feels like he's a woman trapped in a man's body it's because under the, the whatever psychological evaluation they're based this on it's he's he seemed to be someone who's dangerous or unstable or could do damage so right. i think i think on that level it's not a get out of jail free card. This is still 1990 and people are still relatively ill-informed. But this movie at no point is saying, well, because he wants to be a woman, he's a deviant. That's not what the movie's saying at all. First and foremost, the guy's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. That's the deviancy. Like, the deviancy is his violence, which Lecter himself talks about as a patient who was recommended to him so there's back it gives you it gives you backstory and it puts those things through there that I think is very easy to just on a very superficial level that's your your position on it but the movie actually works quite smart and quite hard um, not necessarily subtly it is there to make that differentiation that the like first and foremost this guy is a serial killer who is mentally unstable and it just so happens he is in a similar way where like someone like uh we mentioned him before Jeffrey Dahmer is you know is he serial killer who is gay you would never start mm. that sentence by saying he was a gay serial killer no 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 right. he was a serial killer his sexuality happened to be homosexuality but you know like first and foremost the guy was a fucking killer right yep. and that's that's the important that's the important aspect so I think he's I think Levine is like like this is how he didn't even go up for like best supporting actor is beyond me I think his performance is Oh, it's great. Yeah, terrifying. It's, it's like, absolutely, he's, he's absolutely, <laughs> t- for a guy who two minutes before was tucking his dick between his legs, um, <laughs> when he's at the top of that well and he's screaming at her, you don't know what pain is! And I'm looking at him going, that man is the last face I'll see and that is terrifying. For sure. You know I mean? oh. And I mean, to, to kind of lean into what you're saying there though, I mean, the book does a better job of it but it also has the ability to kind of delve more into some of these things but i'm with you is that i think the biggest thing is that this movie even references is that he does apply at many places to have the changing of his sex and they deny him because of the things that you said is that they know or they at least believe that he isn't really transgender he wants to change and that's what he thinks is what he really wants to do but that's not really what it is. And I think that, I mean, if this was made today, I think that's what would prevent it from being canceled, though, is that if you're paying attention, it tells you that he's not actually these things, that this is a psychopathic person who yeah. thinks these things and this is what he thinks he needs to do. But really, I mean, he's almost similar to Red Dragon, where he wants to change into something he, this guy is just a little bit more misinformed about what he needs to do to get to that transformation. Yeah, it seems to be something that Tom Harris has a preoccupation with yeah. with these like main yeah. like serial killer like villains, um, and in the, the run of books is that idea that preoccupation with the killer who is 
it's there's something deeply psychologically rooted that is you see the killings as this art for transformation and to be yep. honest there are the i mean harris like did his research um mm -hmm. there's there's you know there's no <laughs> like the, the there's no shortage of comparisons to real life examples here like specifically mm -hmm. even in uh you know in a buffalo bill where you have the comparisons to ed gein with the the right. body suit the the luring of women by trying to lift something in a cast which is ted bundy um, yep. you know he's, he's pulling them from like real life examples and making a kind of almost like a, a witch's cauldron yeah. a mulgram of all these different uh, ideas into things which are all grounded in fact which that's the terrifying thing these these things are all grounded <laughs> in fact these are all things that you know that happened like Hannibal Lecter eats his victims Jeffrey Dahmer was a cannibal and hit people um, it's, it's like it's, it's very it, it, you know it's, it's kind of like audiences look at it in a fantastical element but you know the, 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 there's kind of science and precedent in the real world to back up and that's kind of what's amazing about how and it's also what, what i think is why a lot of movies kind of post this really struggle with because they either become like kind of uh hyper violent and stylized and almost yep. like graphic novelly unless real world grounded or they go the other way you know they become so boringly just predictable i think of like the the killer in the movie The Bone Collector, which is a, a, is a great movie. The Bone Collector is actually like a, a weird comparison to this. In that, in that right. movie, you have instead of you know the the like a Clary Starling run about the place, you have uh, who's the actress? Is that Angelina uh, isn't Jolie? It Angelina Jolie. Yeah, yeah. You have Angelina Jolie. Like she's uh, she instead of her having a Hannibal Lecter to help her, she has. Um, What's his face? The training day. Yeah, it's uh, Denzel Washington is yeah. like what the old like detective who is his bedridden. has a broken leg. Yeah, yeah he's bedridden. Yeah, he's, be he's he's not even just like he's like can't move. He's but he's like literally paralyzed. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like paralyzed, and he's like, and they they they're like he's giving her the advice, and she's out there doing the thing. So it's basically, <laughs> let's be honest, it's kind of low red silence in the labs. But the killer in that one is so fucking boring. Oh, yeah. he's like read this book, and he's <laughs> like, oh, great. Oh, Just put it's... a page around the bones that people are finding. It's like, okay, like, yeah, oh, so I cause... like your idea here, but I think we could do a little bit more with it. Yeah, because because it, it's like a cross between Silence of the Lambs and Seven. So it's using the yeah. concept of instead of the Seven Deadly Sins, it's you know passages from the book The Bone Collector, um, and it, you know it's is is that way. Well, and this one it keeps it relatively straight. You know, yeah. there is a serial killer out there. He's up to five. The FBI, very similar in the Red Dragon case, are getting desperate. Um, mm -hmm. They're leaning into using Hannibal Lecter, who, you know, maybe... They never really got an idea. This is where the TV show shines, like, beyond everything, mm -hmm. is that the idea of he is, he is a known resource that has helped in the past, and there's precedent there for him to help. Like, it's weird that in this movie they make no mention at all to Will Graham and that might be a rights thing um, oh. and it might be because I think that's the reason he couldn't do because it's uh, Dino De Laurentiis um, and his group that I think have the the rights to maybe the rights to the Lecter character and maybe the okay. rights to like the Will Graham character and all the rest that's why Clarice couldn't be a character in the TV show and they couldn't do Silence that's right because that's right. you know that that's elsewhere so maybe that's why they couldn't mention him but like in the book silence of the lamb silence of the lambs will graham is mentioned as this right. boogie story to detectives who get too close get too involved and that's lose right. their objectivity because at the end of the book he's carved up like really 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 bad carved up really bad and he's like he's like a shell of himself who lives in a boat um <sighs> That's like where he ends up. It's like a horrible end to that character, even though he catches the killer. And this one here, we get a different tact. He's putting forward this young girl who thinks she might be able to to get the works out there, and we get a different Hannibal because of that. Which then mm -hmm. brings me to to like the the probably my last big points on the goods because, like I say, we're going to break down Lecter in the third question. But um, like like Ted Levine, great like great villain here. I love everything about it. He's iconic. Um, yes, oh for sure. Yeah. Also horribly dumb. Like he's just like a, <laughs> a dumb dumb guy. But I, I I do love that idea of him. 
he's calculating in that one thing that makes him dangerous, which is killing. <laughs> like, yeah. When it comes to that, no, yeah, for sure. Like scary on that. Everything else, he's like he's living in the house with the body of the person that owned the house before, and no, like you know what I mean. And as like all that's far too reckless to be like that. But you like just he's, he has he's got a preoccupation on on that transformation that he doesn't care about anything else. And, you know, that's like very risky as well. The, the way he abducts women very much like Ted Bundy is very risky. There's God knows how many reports of like a guy who matched that description that had asked women before um, on certain days who like introduced himself as Ted. Right. And then, you know, like no one put anything together because like we said before, there are failures sometimes in investigations, yep. but like, like, so all that like is, is incredible. But the pacing of this movie, right? This very much like yeah, Manhunter yeah. sits at the two-hour mark. This fucking flies. Well, this is, does not feel like a two-hour movie. This feels like an hour and a half, maybe. Um, yeah. It's like it's it's paced so incredibly well that there isn't one scene in this where it takes you know its foot off the pedal and you're like, mm, right, maybe just like check my phone for a little bit until she goes back to see Hannibal it just it rips right through it and I think I can't I can't remember many movies that do the procedural thing and the investigation thing and not really the full on murder thing right it's very similar to like you don't see Puffalo Bill kill anyone no and this one you see Hannibal obviously kill people but Hannibal doesn't do that till towards the end of the movie so this is once... like the last like quarter of the movie almost i feel like is yeah. when he finally has his whole like escape thing yeah so like very much like manhunter this is a movie that predominantly in its runtime has zero death it's dealing with yeah. the procedural aspect of kind of the, the posthumous finding of the bodies and the how they right. work this through but it isn't glorifying the deaths it doesn't need to you know it doesn't need to do that and like that should in a lot of respects by our modern audience standard this should be a giant anchor that this movie's kind of in and, and not at all not at all it's, it's got a propeller strapped to it and it's constantly moving i think it's, it's, it's actually remarkable because of that yeah i mean i'm with you is that i was just trying to think about it while you were talking about it we do see the one body that they find in west virginia so when they go there to do the autopsy yeah you don't even get to really see it you just get glimpses you get to see like some of the crime scene photos i believe so like that's really kind of all you're seeing from the bodies and it's not really until you see um catherine in me well yes. that's where like the terror starts to kind of come from there and I mean, you see the like suit that Buffalo Bill is making, where it's on the the mannequin. Mm -hmm. But like, even that, if you're not really kind of thinking about it, that's like you not even put together that that's actually human skin that he's doing there. Yeah. And I mean, you're dead on though. It's really just when like Hannibal attacks those two police officers who are a bit lax in what they're doing and not realizing that he has got this whole plan set up to get free. And I mean. Even then, you don't even see a whole lot from there. I mean, you see him biting the one guy's nose, and then, again, it's him staging the one body and him hiding as the other body. Yeah, it's, like, it, it surprisingly doesn't go in that direction. And then even right. on top of that, like, Buffalo Bill doesn't kill anyone. Right. That's well, true. He, he, like, like, he obviously like, kills them yeah, off. Yeah, like, screen, but, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he doesn't kill anyone. And yet, if you were to talk about the greatest, you know, serial killers in, in film history... Buffalo Bill was going to be on that list, right? It's so bizarre. Like, it's like you, you almost like you, like the, the mythology of the character becomes bigger than the movie, and that's that's kind of incredible. That once again is just great casting, great performance, great storytelling, which this movie has in abundance. Um, I suppose the last I thing as well is this: the score of this movie. As it's beautifully yes. shot, we've talked about the angles and all the rest, but mm -hmm. the score of this movie, Manhunter has this fucking Michael Mann full-on <laughs> synth score, which is so bizarre, but works so well with it. And this one has that kind of very serious, very somber thriller drama orchestral score. It's a brilliant right. score, but works with, but it's very foreboding and very dark and gloomy, mm -hmm. and you know, not not what we had before but works incredibly 
with it. You know, I, I think the score of this movie is absolutely bitching, but for all the, like, almost for every opposite reason than the reason I think that the score of Manhunter is absolutely bitching. But it really works with the tone. Like, you couldn't yes. go into the, the dungeon in this one and have a like it just really wouldn't work it'd be a whole different movie yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal wearing a pair of 80s 3D glasses rocking out Um, it just it just wouldn't it just wouldn't it just it just won't do no it just won't do Um, right here is the next question here is the next question for you Uh, I'll be interested to see if you come up with anything for this what does Silence of the Lambs not do well then David See, this is what I've been racking my brain about just because I know what the questions are coming in. I kind of feel like to kind of pivot the question, I could see this one for people that want to argue this as not a horror movie. I think that's really the only negatives you could have is kind of things we've already been talking about is there's very little of like the actual horror elements on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of just kind of like a police procedural, which is why I think it kind of falls into the other category because I could actually say that um, because of it not actually having those, that's where they kind of build their argument against this. Now, yep. where I would counteract against it is that the sound design, not even necessarily the music, the sound design of listening to Lecter just kind of lulls you into things. And that's where I think it actually goes back into horror. Or, I mean, like Buffalo Bill yelling at Catherine and yeah. just how terrifying that comes off. I think that's actually how it kind of gets you back to where you could be like, all right, here's your counterpoint where here is, you know, my rebuttal as to why I think you're wrong is like just listening to like, I mean, even Jodie Foster, when she's telling the story about running away from that farm and why, you know, the whole title of Silence of the Lambs and to why she did that, listening to Lecter where he kind of just goes on these monologues is terrifying where you just get lulled into it and you're just like, there's times where I feel my anxiety going up and I'm like, I'm not talking to him right now. Like, I should not be worried right now, but I still get that way. And I mean as we already said, Buffalo Bill yelling at Catherine where he's just starts to just yell at her. Like, I almost want to put the lotion in the basket myself well, out of fear is, yeah, for her. That, that's the beauty of the movie. We don't need to see him yes. do anything to Catherine because we've seen the pictures and the bodies of what's to come. And that's, exactly. what's, that's what's so clever. Like, even down to, like, they talk about when they visit the body and they talk about missing fingernails and they yeah. make the point of saying... Like, like she's missing fingernails we don't know why that is and then we see as the audience 25 minutes later why she was missing fingernails because they're still in yes. the fucking well wall for when she's trying to claw herself out right it's, like, it's just like uh, yep. it, it's just so good man it's just so so good and yeah like I could see maybe why someone might want to I can see why maybe some idiot out there David would maybe try and argue <laughs> that this is not a horror movie but like by its by its very definition it's dealing with right it may be dealing with it in a more sober and serious way Mm -hmm. than other movies have in the past but i would say that that is very indicative of the 90s that's the direction we were going in we took things we pushed things so far to the level of camp and you know ridicule and comedy right yeah that expanded as far as this is the cold hard contraction of that um, and it starts before this movie. It starts with Misery the year before. Like yep. you know, when Misery comes out, and you're you're sitting there going, "Holy delight!" Once again, it wins Oscars. Um, and it's kind of like, "Oh yeah, we can release a terrifying movie with someone who's completely unhinged and terrifying as a character." And audiences will go and see that if it's played well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're you're more likely to through word of mouth get people that are not used to going to see like a Friday the Thirteenth or anything because they like those stupid horror movies to go and see something <laughs> a little bit more highbrow. And highbrow is never a bad word. No. Um, you know, it's just it's just that it's, it's aimed a bit more serious. It's aimed at you know a, a bit more discussion at the end out with well, I didn't like the killer's mask. Um, it's it's on that level, and I think that's. To me, I think Silence of the Lambs is as close as any movie gets to, like, like flawless, like, masterpiece. I, like, there is I'm not a scene in this that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. There's not a, an element where I think it's overplayed. Um, I think the performance... Hopkins is... Supra- like, th- this will lead us into our third question here, is like, which is the actual legacy of, of the Hopkins performance. We've had Brian yep. Cox, like, what, uh, five years before this playing Lecter in this kind of bit part role 
where he is very cold, like incredibly cold, and it's very it's almost confrontational in the Will Graham character because he's the guy that caught him. And, yep. you know, there's that kind of tete-a-tete between the two because he's specifically trying to justify how someone like a Will Graham could catch him and put him where he is. And the best he can come up with that is, well, it's because you you are me. You think like me because you are like me. Um, and this one, we're meeting Lecter, we don't know how long after, if you watch the Red Dragon <laughs> remake, apparently right after. Fuck that movie, man. On it. Oh, oh yeah, that's it. Oh, how does Will Graham get the postcard on the boat? Oh, how does he get a postcard on the boat? Um, right, that's fucking ra- Ratner. I hate, I hate Ratner. Um, I'm going to get to that. Doug Tilly, we're going to get to that. But, um, you know, the fact that they have to... As Jeff said in the previous episode... Like the the remake, the Red Dragon uh, remake, uh, dares to at the end remind you that there's a much better movie. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a young oh, lady no. that wants to speak to you from the FBI. And like that, you're like, oh yeah, Silence of the Lambs is better than this. Um, but <laughs> I wish I'd watched that movie instead. But like, there's like Hawkins plays this. It's so close to being a campy pantomime character without never crossing the line. And right. he takes it right to the edge every single time. Like, like even some of the impressions. Does your father stink of the lamb? You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like all these things where, like, toughens, love your suit, toughens. And put, like, it's these kind of, it's so campy and so close to being over the top. But for some reason, it's just... It's really unsettling. <laughs> it's really, oh, great. It's really unsettling. Whereas, like further portrayals of him, Hannibal, it, it gets it like a little bit too much for me in parts. Uh, the Red yeah. Dragon movie, where he's laughed. Well, it's the line I always use, but I have oodles of time. Fuck off! <laughs> you wouldn't say oodles. Um, he'd eat someone that said oodles because he eats the root. Um, but yeah, it's that is like, true. Yeah, like he's. It, it's it's there's such a hairline balance to the performance that it sadly creates not only within the character himself and in a lot of respects Hannibal becomes <laughs> he becomes the E.E. slasher killer you know by the time we get to the you know the, the third incarnation of him on the screen is one liners right um, and it's just like yep. what we're we doing um, but there's also that aspect as well as it, I think it allows Hollywood to create killers who are a lot more kind of sophisticated and charming. Yes. In some respects, but also uh, the the kind of the need to make killers have like crimes that are so over the top. Seven's the movie I'm thinking about, which is yeah. you know the, the the next movie in that you know it's not a horror movie conversation of things that are clearly a fucking horror movie um, yep. and John Doe in that one is completely unassuming compared to in fact he's, he's more in line with the Hannibal Lecter of you know Manhunter than he is with the Hannibal Lecter of Silence of the Lambs but his crimes are these massive almost caricature graphic novel versions yeah. of murder so they're so over the top because if we don't have that how terrifying is this little unassuming man um, like to me I see Hannibal Lecter and he's the sort of guy that would stand out in an investigation you know what I mean he isn't the man next door how many, like, do, does your neighbour look like that and speak like that cook all no, that I mean, weird that's... food you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's, he's, so, he's so blatantly obvious as right. possible person of interest um, that you know it's the overlooking because of that I mean that's I think you're dead on is that he is so like so sophisticated but I just think the way Hopkins plays it is he is still subdued, but he does such a great job at towing that line where he could go over the top with it, but brings it back before he does. And I mean, kind of going back to something we brought up previously with like the TV show is I just think how they do it there is I feel like that's almost in line with how Hopkins plays it in this, where if he wasn't in here, he would be having these lavish dinner parties Mm -hmm. where he would be in the upper class of 
Baltimore, where yeah. people would be like the mayor would be there, the the governor if he was in town would be there. Like he just is somebody that everybody knows him. And I mean that would be I mean that's the only thing I think is a misstep is they don't necessarily talk about it in this one is that he probably has helped the FBI with doing things because of his yeah. knowledge and how well he can read people and how quickly he can read people. And I think it's just a I mean, this is would be one of those top five performances that if you're like, show me why Anthony Hopkins is as great of an actor as he is. And this is one of the things that I would have him be shown is there's a few different like sequences where I'd be like, this right here is why. Or yeah. if it's him pushing people's buttons or if it's him reading Clarice from that opening thing and giving her a little bit of information and how smart she is to kind of interpret that where somebody like Dr. Chilton wouldn't be able to. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. He's, like, he's so... It's all the mannerisms. Like, yes. everything he does is, is meticulous. It's a meticulous performance. It's, like, it's very... very and, you like, like Hopkins came from the stage. Um, so did Brian Cox, actually. Uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting to see how that works its way through into the performance. It's very measured. Like, everything is yes. very, very measured and deliberate, and I, I kind of love it. It's, it's such a, a fine line and as we move through this retro here I think what's going to be interesting about that is when we link back and trying to pinpoint exactly the moments where that that measured performance isn't measured anymore it's you know we right. cross the line into almost cartoon character than we are necessarily you know iconic villain um of which is like this movie like right to the very end like i don't know if you're like happy that hannibal escapes at the end of this movie like you know what i mean i'm not yeah um <laughs> yet like when i'm watching hannibal i'm kind of rooting for hannibal which is like in yeah. part because like poor tom harris like fell in love hard with the hannibal character um yeah. You know that that things because once again the novel I mentioned it in the previous episode for those that don't know the the Hannibal novel ends up with Crilly, uh, Clarice um, in love with and uh, you know running away with Hannibal to live in I think it's Mexico they end up um, living together whereas like in the, like like <laughs> Ridley Scott was like that is not the ending we're having in this movie. Um, <laughs> No way. But even at the end of it, they make him a kind of noble-ish character in that he chops his hand off. Like, to save right. Clarice. And it's like... Mm, mm, you know what I mean? Let's look at what we're doing here. He's a fucking serial killing... Like, cannibal. Like, at, at the end of this movie, you should feel terrified that he's having an old friend for dinner and we're gonna... The credits <laughs> are gonna be him walking up a fucking street right stalking his prey here where he's watching him walk away and then slowly just disappears kind of yeah. into the crowd uh -huh. while also you know that i mean it's uh, it's gonna not end well no of course not with the worst wig in cinema history you know what i mean it's a terrible terrible <laughs> wig <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it really really is um Right, let's 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 talk about the obvious thing. Let's get this out of the way. Um, I'm assuming you're recommending this movie. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. If you had to pick one scene from this movie to recommend to someone that had never seen Silence of the Lambs before, as this is a reason you want to watch this movie, what scene would it be and why? Well, I'll give you a couple. Just Ooh. my favorite sequence for this one, if I was going to do that, would be the. The sequence between him and is uh, between Lecter and Clarice later in the movie, where she sneaks in to talk to him when yeah. she's not supposed to be. She's supposed to be off the case. Mm -hmm. Just hearing like their like quid pro quo back and forth, mm -hmm. where the tension is just ramping up because you know they're going to discover that she should not be up there. And listening to where she has to give him something before he'll give her information back mm -hmm. is so just tension driving. And because you know that what Chilton's done is not going to actually help Catherine. What you know, though, is that Clarice can actually break this case if given enough time. So just listening to them go back and forth is just a tour de force between two great actors. Mm -hmm. And then the one that I would say for the people that don't think this is a horror movie, when Clarice shows up to the actual house oh, and yeah. meets Buffalo Bill, where you think that the FBI is actually at the right place, and I believe Chicago, mm -hmm. when it turns out that it's actually in Ohio, and watching them go back and forth, which is another great acting back and forth right there, but then her figuring out 
as they're talking and then going downstairs and that whole sequence, especially when it goes to the night vision is terrifying. Yeah. Well, she agree, big fat person. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I will. Yeah. Like that, like the whole night vision scene is like, that's horror. <laughs> like it doesn't get yes. much more. Like the fact that his hand reaches out and almost touches and tries her hair. To gra- right. Oh, just creepy as fuck. Absolutely creepy as fuck. Like there's like uh, uh, the, the scene that I would lean in on, um, only because I think you've chose infinitely better scenes than me. It's the it's the it's the dance. It's goodbye horses. Yes. It's Lazarus Q. Uh-huh. It's it's you know it's him getting ready. It's the it's the the realization of what he's trying to do, and yes. him seeing what he is becoming. Not us necessarily seeing what he's becoming, but him like going the film when he lifts his hands up like a butterfly. Stands yes. like a butterfly. Um, right, granted, he's tucked his dick between his legs, but I, I don't know <laughs> if I want to see Ted Levine's dong. Um, and he's he's standing in that position there, and it all builds up, and there's a crescendo. And at this point, you're like, "This is fucking nuts. This is peak. This is fucking nuts." Right? Like, so what the fuck? Are, what the fuck are we doing here? And I think that's like this this movie in a lot of respects. I think delivers that idea of, "Oh, this guy's insane." Yes. Like in a way where it's you know it's not a, a you know a room full of fucking severed heads or you know like all the, all the other ways other movies up to this point would try and do. No 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 no. It's the we've seen all these dead bodies missing skin. This is what he's trying to do, and look at him here. And when it all sinks in, that's what to me is one of those scenes where you're just like every just the way it's shot, the soundtrack, the fucking culmination, just absolutely. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's a death movie, by the way. Um, I mean, that's a great scene right there. Oh, I mean, that it's just, and I mean, it's kind of funny. Is the last time I was watching, I was thinking about that guy who tucks his wiener underneath like that would go on to be <laughs> Big Bob, who's a red blooded American in the Hills Have Eyes yep. remake, where yep. you're like, huh. So that's where you've kind of developed into yourself. All right, well, perfect. <laughs> Yeah, like Ted Levine, like has he like has he healthy career after this movie? Like he really right. healthy career, and he's never pigeonholed with that role, which I think is once again a testament to how well respected this movie is. Because there are right. like even even Anthony Hopkins struggled after this movie with like well, it didn't help that he came back to play the role a couple of times, but struggled with right. that I am not Hannibal Lecter sort of thing where people just wanted them to play every villain on the planet, and Ted Levine was very smart. And very savvy and just didn't get lumped in with all that which is kind of great um, yeah for sure for sure yeah uh, right let's talk grades here this should be pretty easy uh, one is yeah. hated it two is didn't like it three is liked it four is really liked it five is loved it the people know that I gave five to Manhunter um, I love that movie I think it yeah it's maybe not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination but I you know I just love it for what it does I think it's Michael Mann just like at the at the beginning of what is about to be a murderer's role of fucking movies um, right. I'm trying to think what does he make after Manhunter is the next like full proper movie is is that Last of the Mohicans? I think it might be. Uh, what... That sounds about right because I know my dad loved that movie and I think you might be right. Yeah, I think I think as well. We're while we're chatting, I'll do the the old uh, research here. But um, I think like t- to me, this movie. I mean, it's like it's so difficult to get everything right, and this movie gets. Yeah. Everything right. Yeah, his, his next movie that he did, proper movie that wasn't a TV movie, is The Last of the Mohicans, which won Jeez. Oscars and then did he. Right. After that, you know, which, <laughs> so, which I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just like, just, we made heat after that, you know, no big deal. Like, <laughs> ain't nothing but a thing. Um, right. But you know what I mean? Like, as great as that is, this to me is about as good as cinema gets. Like, like across the board, I think it's just its nuance is it's fucking perfect. So it's a five for me. I love this movie. Uh, David, where are you coming in with your grades for Silence of the Lambs? I mean, I'm going to echo with what you just said. Is that it's hard to do everything like perfect in just general. And I mean, I'm hard pressed to find something wrong with this movie that it's just, everything is great from the acting to the editing, to the sound design, soundtrack, all of it. Yeah. I'm right there with you is this is a five out of five. I love this movie. Yes. Right. Now, David, you're a busy guy. You do podcasts and written reviews and stuff. Let the people out there know where they can check out your ship. My friend. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, 
I have a blog where you can kind of find most everything. Is all my written reviews are over there, and that's horrorreview.webnode.com. I also have a tab over there to find all of the podcast episodes, just to kind of make it easier on everybody. But my podcast should be found anywhere that podcasts are available, at least as far as I know. They're always they're all on all of them. So that is Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. And I mean, over there, I'll do bonus episodes every now and then, and also have a like sub show that I do with one of my buddies and that is side quest podcast but it's all under the same feed nice nice thank you very much to david for joining me on this episode we are going to take a very short break just now and when i come back i'm closing out the show i'm doing it right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 403. It was our second of a five-part series in the Russian Roulette franchise retro looking in on Hannibal Lecter. And this one was Silence of the Lambs. A big thank you to my guest for joining me and covering that with me. It's always a great pleasure to sit down and chat to David Garrett Jr. Go and check out his shows, please. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening to us right now, subscribe. That way you get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapots content. Do not stop there, though. Please subscribe to our sister feed, The Teapots Collective. Over there you get shows like Where to Begin With, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty, and Chronicle. Links to all the shows there in one singular feed with all their archives. Oh, I know it's a sexy time to be a podcast listener, but sometimes just hitting subscribe is too much. Sometimes going on podcatchers is too complicated. So if you just want a one-stop shop for all your listening pleasure, then do that through our website, tputzcast.com. Links to all the shows are there, as well as a link to another show called Jaws' Shite, another regrettable outburst, supposedly spanter entertainment podcast, featuring myself, The Baz, and Scott and Liam from Scott and Liam vs. Evil. It's very drunken, it's very rowdy, hella entertaining. Jaws' Shite, another regrettable outburst, exclusively available on tputzcast.com. If you're on Facebook and you want to check us out there, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Cast gets you the podcast under the stairs. For the Teapots Collective, a curated feed of everything I'm on, you can do that by going to facebook.com forward slash Cast. That is a Facebook page, ladies and gents, slightly different. And for the Jaws is Shite Weird and Wonderful Facebook group page, that is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. If you don't want to interact with us on Facebook and you'd rather interact with us on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, the Instas and the Twitters, myself and Baz can be reached at TeaputsCast on both. The podcast Under the Stairs returns tomorrow with a recap of movies 7 through 14. That's right, 7 through, no, 7 through 13. 7 through 13, not 14, don't get ahead of ourselves. 7 through 13 on my 31 of October. Some bigger, more... Interesting titles covered in these, uh, these, this run here anyway. Better than some of what I've been put through in the first episode. But uh, still, still awaiting that absolute jaw-dropping banger. So we'll see if we get another one of those, maybe before the end of Halloween. So ladies and gents, wherever you are, wherever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.